When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back with you at the top of the hour here for Coffee and Cream in the Morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency, live from the H&H Chevrolet stage alongside Damon Benning, Andrew Rogers. We teased trivia, but now we had like a little extra tease during the break. A very, flu- a very fluid schedule with Nicholas Allen Baugh. So. Is he busy? Is he a busy guy? Well, I think when you're parenting and you travel a ton, it get trust me, it gets hectic. Nick Bob, busy, explodes all over my chest. No, way. and now he's he's playing zone, right? It, it was easier when he could play man to man, but man, he's he's playing zone right now. No, he's getting to the rim. You think? I think so. I don't know. Maybe my <laughs> maybe may put it on him. <laughs> Could you see her just crossing him up? Right. Yeah, there it is. That's probably one of my favorite things he said. Nick, uh, good morning. Thanks for joining the show, man. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, everything you guys said was accurate in one way or another. Uh, accurate. David, I, this, this this reminds me of. So people that don't know, Micah, your youngest, yeah. used to like hang out with me. <laughs> Like before, so David did the morning show. I was on afterwards. Like me and Micah would just hang out yep. for like an hour. I'd be like trying to write out some take about like Mike Riley, and Micah would be like, he, he was the king of scaring me. He would like sneak up behind me and then boom. Nick, jokes on you. I think like, oh that's called God. babysitting. <laughs> yeah. No, hey, Damon, Damon. With with interest, you owe me about fifty five thousand yeah. dollars. <laughs> well, so so what what that really was? That was birth control, man. You just didn't. You just weren't getting. Yeah. It. No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't get the memo. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it at all. So how's it like? How's it like playing zone now? Man, I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, we're I, we're down. I'm down like twenty five. <laughs> and we 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 got to make some adjustments. No, I mean it's great, uh, but it's challenging, man. It's just like it's just like anything else. Like you, you think one kid is hard, then you have two, and then you think two kids is hard, and then you have three, and it's just things get like progressively more challenging, but they get progressively more rewarding. Not to go all Hallmark card on you, uh, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, man, it's uh, it's th- things are going okay as long as the kids sleep, which you know that's a coin flip every time. Oh yeah, you and Adam Sandler, man, Hallmark is a good thing. You guys could write cards. <laughs> See, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. Nick, let's get into basketball now. Uh, yesterday's poll question here on the show was, uh, it's pretty easy. Who's the best team in the Big East? It seems like an easy question until you get to the answers, and it gets a little more complex because you have Providence, Xavier, Marquette, Creighton, UConn. In your opinion, uh, who's the best team? It's not Old Dominion. Who's the best team in the Big East? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Shane. Gosh. Uh, Yeah, I saw that poll question. You know it's a good poll question when I, like, squirmed even, like, scrolling through it. I was like, ooh, that's a tough one. Um, You know – 
it, my, he, he, I'll give you what my gut answer was when I saw it with Xavier right now. Because that, that's all. We're just kind of we're, we're snapshotting the moment. And that's not to say who's going to be the best in March or who's going to win the league necessarily. But like, that's how I'm interpreting the question. Like, if I'm interpreting the question at this moment, who, which team is the best team in the Big East, I'm going to say it's Xavier. Seeing them in person, really, really impressive. It's a lot of the same guys plus Sule Boom. But all those returners have taken a step forward. I think Sean Miller is my first chance to really get to know him and see him work and operate at a shoot-around, talking to his team. He seems like he's an elite coach, and certainly his track record would back that up. But I'm telling you guys, I'm not ready to – I'm not ready to uh, – I think we've talked before. I'm not ready to sell my stock on the Blue Jays. I think what you've seen the last couple of, of games really, uh, really shows you what they're capable of. Um, certainly got you got to tip your cap to what Cooley's done so far uh, with with knocking off UConn and Marquette and and all that. But I'm going to go with Xavier right now, but I think Creighton's coming, man. I really do. One of the things that caught my eye, especially after this past weekend, is because he's got such a curious coaching resume. Remember Shaka Smart at VCU was the guy, right, the hot commodity. And then when it got time to get a big job, it was, well, gosh, how many conference titles has VCU actually run outright and then it's like oh that's a smaller number than I thought then it's Texas and it's oh it wasn't a good fit now the sudden Marquette is they've got my attention they have some pieces how about the job or how what do you make of Shaka Smart is he a a good coach that needs the right fit is he just a great coach is how do you look at Marquette under Shaka Smart this early yeah it's a good question I think it's fascinating to think about I think uh you know, so many people, we want to think we can defy circumstances and like, man, I'd work anywhere. Like, I'm Andrew Rogers. I could do radio in Orlando. You put me in St. Louis. You put me in Dallas. Like, I could do it anywhere. But the reality is, like, a lot of us need the right market, need the right fit to succeed. And I think if you look at his teams at VCU and you look at this team at, at Marquette, they look more similar than any of his teams that Texas did at VCU. Mm. And so I, I look at this roster, and while it's not star-studded, doesn't have a bunch of five stars, uh, I think it fits how he wants to play, you know? Uh, and, and so to me, that, that's my main takeaway with him. I, I, and what's challenging is if you're Shaka, you know, like, okay, Mo Bamba says, yes, I want to come to Texas. Mm. What are you going to say, no, thank you? Like, mm. you're going to take him even though he may not fit exactly how you want to play. Uh, so I, I think – I just look at him, and I think he's a perfect example of sometimes we think of fit for players or for other things. Like, there's fits for coaches and rosters in certain situations. Um, they were the hardest team. So I remember I talked to Fox in the offseason kind of about scheduling stuff and previewing the Big East and all that. And I, I remember saying this in the summer. They were the hardest team for me to sink my teeth in because – they lost their two best players in Justin Lewis and Daryl Morsell. They didn't bring in any nope. high-profile recruits or major transfers. So I kind of thought, well, Shaka better, you know, a year older doesn't always mean a year better, but boy, does it in Milwaukee. Cam Jones, Kolick, Omax Prosper, Oso Iguodaro, like all those guys, all those guys across the board have gotten better. And I think it's a testament to fit 
for Shaka with those guys. I don't want to just dominate your knowledge with just the Big East and Marquette, but Iguodaro and Cam Jones finishing around the rim against Creighton, the tough finishes, and I'm thinking, can they make a living playing with like that? But that was without Kalk. How much more or how difficult is it to assess what's going on without more conference games? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too. Even with, even with uh, you know, teams like you know, St. John's has kind of come back down to earth, but they, you know, they didn't play really anybody. So you kind of, in the non-con, that is. And so you kind of go, okay, well, let's see what happens in conference play. Um, even Providence didn't necessarily challenge themselves in, in the non-con a ton. So let's see what happens in, in conference play. So the sample size is still so small. And when you catch a team, you know, I mean, let's be honest, like, if Creighton, if Creighton was going to Marquette this weekend, it might be a different game. Yeah, you take, right? yeah, you like, take Creighton. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> You, you, you probably pick Creighton right now. Yeah. I don't know, or uh, I mean, I don't even know. It's, it's just I'm, I'm guaranteed it'd be a different game, and so that's that's the thing. There, there is an there is an element of luck with some of this stuff of of when you catch teams, timing, and all those sorts of things. But man, I tell you what, I don't know what you guys thought, but looking at Kalkbrenner the other night against Seton Hall, that's what he looked like the entire final month and a half, two months of the season last year. Mm -hmm. Just freaking blocking everything, altering everything, changing everything in the paint. He has six blocks, and I bet he altered 10 to 15 shots. So it it was amazing to watch his – you know, his timing, his able to kind of roam off guys and and block shots, but – it's different. It's a different world when Kalkbrenner is at full strength, man. It really is. You know, I mentioned that point exactly to DB a couple of weeks ago, actually right before the break and right before Kalkbrenner came back. I said, I think Ryan Kalkbrenner is the most irreplaceable player in college basketball, somebody that is most important to his team. And DB kind of looked at me funny as if I walked in wearing a dress. He's like, eh, are you sure? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, no, dude, I really think like this is the real thing. And once they get back to a healthy five, you're going to see Creighton get back to who they once were. And uh, I-, I think that that rung so true, as you said, against Seton Hall. And now you have to try to carry that over into UConn. Right, and UConn's coming off of a, a couple of losses. That's actually the, the team that the pu- general public thought is still the best team in the Big East. Yeah. But where do you sit with watching UConn right now? They're undefeated and, at home. Only two teams in the Big East are undefeated. And at does home. it make the job harder for Creighton going in, knowing that they are hungry for a win? Well, here's the here's, you know I just said like timing of when you catch teams. This is an example of terrible timing, in my opinion. You may think, like, it's all how you want to look at it. You could look at this and go, ooh, Creighton's catching UConn struggling. Uh, they lost at Xavier in a game that was close where Danny Hurley got teed up and it kind of changed the game in the final two minutes. And then they ran into a Providence team that was just played great. Bryce Hopkins is playing fantastic. So they've lost on the road in two games that aren't bad losses. So I think they're going to be foaming at the mouth. I also think, keep in mind, UConn has never beaten Creighton since they've joined the Big East. That is something that sticks in your craw as a player and as a coach, and they're going to be talking about that. Mm. So I think you're running into a UConn team that is going to be angry, and they already play a little angry. So it it will be, in my opinion, it's not great timing to catch UConn, uh, but, you know, it, I guess it's, we'll, we'll find out. I just, you know, there's, there's no, with, with Kalkbrenner, man, he just, the other thing, I mean, 
mean, you, you look at the numbers with and without him, you know, the rebounding numbers are dramatically different. And what's interesting is he only averages about six or seven rebounds. So you're like, geez, why would it be a 15-rebound difference with or without him? And I asked Coach McDermott that, and, and he looked at me and he goes, well, I'll tell you this, his guy doesn't get the rebound. And I was like, okay, you know, that's something. Like, his, <laughs> so the guy he's guarding doesn't get it. And then Kalkbrenner gets a – he you know, he led the Big East in offensive rebounds a year ago. He, he gets a lot of offensive rebounds as well. So the rebounding situation changes with him. Um, there's a lot more subtleties. You would think ball screen – like a guy that's just setting ball screens and rolling, that's simple. There's a lot of subtleties to, okay, I'm going to set a screen on, on Ryan Nemhard. His guy's setting up to go under. i got to change my angle a little bit to get a piece of him. Or, all right, he went under. Let's roll back. Let's pick, repick. Now – Nemhard's at 14 feet coming downhill, if that makes sense on the radio here. Like, yeah. he, he understands those subtleties at a higher level than someone like Frederick King does. So he unlocks so much on both ends of the floor that, you know, as much as Damon may have looked at Andrew like he had a, a dress on, I don't know, man. I mean, it's, you, he's, he's in the conversation for one of the most indispensable, impactful players to a specific team in, in college basketball. In my defense, that was back when they were 6-2, and two, and I thought, gosh, it's pretty early to be saying that. <laughs> right. I was thinking, I'm like, I'm like, like man, take. Carolina without Baycott or, you know, I, right. I, I'm, I'm looking Indiana, at. Indiana, Trey Jackson, Davis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, obviously. I mean, without Edie. Obviously, Indiana without Xavier yeah. Johnson, because they still can't take care of the basketball. That. Like, that's a crazy – let's stay right there. Let's go to the Big Ten just because I don't know if that's Michigan State. They're hard to cap. Iowa gets their doors blown off, and then they rally against Indiana, who was loose with the basketball. I think Purdue is good. They won on the road at Columbus last night, and, a you know, lawyer, he lawed up with all 11 in the second yep. half. Like, how are you capping the Big Ten? I, man, I – it produces a tough team to make sense of for me because I just don't know how dynamic their guards are. Uh, you know, but man, do they execute? Man, do they know who they are? Man, do they know where their bread's buttered? And man, do they execute? Um, now, with that, with all that said, I thought Ohio State peed down their leg pretty good. You know, I mean, to to turn it over in the full court on a simple. I mean, if you get trapped in the coffin corner, not sure if people saw that play. Yeah, in the inbound. I mean, yeah. everybody's. Everybody's going to rotate, rotate to the inbounder. You know, that's just like, that's basketball one-on-one, and you can't just turn and throw a lazy pass back at that guy. And then even their, their double on Edie that you talk about that ended up being the, the game-winner to Lawyer, what they had done a good job of is waiting until Edie started to dribble the ball to come with the double team. And instead, when the ball went into Edie, they ran right into double him, and so the timing wasn't there for, for the rotation, and Lawyer gets a wide-open three. Uh Wild game in Iowa City. Mm-hmm. Basket, and I think he's sort of light a fire under this team, and it kind of worked. But definitely, Race Thompson being hurt, Xavier Johnson being hurt, certainly changes the dynamic there. I think you still have to say Purdue's the best team uh, in, in the Big Ten. Although their guard play worries me, I just man, does they they know who they are, they execute, and they got a dude that is a problem every single possession offensively that you have to deal with. And you mentioned the inbounds play, and all I could think of last night since everything's about North Carolina is North Carolina-Baylor last year where North Carolina gave up a 20-point lead because they couldn't inbounds the basketball. Mm-hmm. Creighton went through a stretch, yeah. remember, two, three years ago with Coach Mack where it was like they struggled to inbounds the basketball. In your opinion, you're watching this game a ton. You know it as well as anybody. 
why is such a minor thing that happens 50 times a game such a high degree of difficulty when it matters? I, I, it's a good question. I don't know. I, I, I wish I had a good, clean answer for you. Um, I think one, I've always felt like being on both ends of that, I've been the guy that's thrown the ball in in that spot, and I've also been the guy that's trying to trying to get open. I think it's the what I just said there, the latter. I think you find out who really wants the ball. Mm. Get open. Like, go, go get – like, really make a hard cut. Really, really get into your guy and create space and get open. You see so many people because they know they're about to get trapped, like homeboy did at Ohio State last <laughs> night, right? Like, that's not fun. Like, game on the line, you're down one or you're up one. You go, I'm going to catch and I'm going to get double teamed. And i got to be strong in a double team and not turn this thing over and either pass out of it or, or get fouled and I'm going to the line. There's a lot of people that don't want the ball there. Mm. And so I would say it's sometimes two dudes that are, that are screening for each other or cutting and getting open. Those guys got to want the ball. And a part of also wanting the ball is knowing where to catch it. You know, don't run to that, that coffin corner where the, the baseline meets the sideline, but yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, we can make that complicated, but some of it's just like you know, man up, get open, catch, be strong. Mm. We're talking with Nick Ba, Fox Sports college basketball analyst and former Blue Jay. You can toss him a follow on Twitter at Nick Ba. Pretty plain and plain and simple. And Ba B A H E for those of you playing on your bingo cards at home. Nick, as you look at that game in Iowa City, the Indiana Iowa game. Yep. And you hear what Mike Woodson has to say in his presser, uh, using a few choice words, um, calling bologna sandwich on the way Fran McCaffrey kind of <laughs> operated on the sidelines in that game. What did you make of those those comments? And, um, you know, as a guy that, like, leads a team in the top 25, uh, does that send the right message to his group, knowing that he's, like, placing blame on certain things? Yeah, I never. I mean, first of all, I'm never a huge fan of going public with with any with anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're upset with how a, how a, another coach was handled, um, or or how a game was officiated with with regards to the the other sideline, I'm never a huge fan of that. But that also doesn't, you know, I think Damon, you say this all the time. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. You know, I mean, Mike Woodson, Mike Woodson can say that. I just don't think he he should. Uh, but I, you know, it's. Uh, I thought Mike Woodson had an argument, you know, uh, th- at the same time, I think the play he was talking about was at the end of the game, one of Indiana's assistants was, was looked like he was out of his coaching box having a pretty intimate conversation with the official, and then Fran came way out of his coaching box, all the way to the, almost the other side of the floor, to kind of go, hey, you know, what's, what's, what is this? Like, what are we doing here? Um, but I, I think, much like anything, I brought up Danny Hurley, you know, what, what what some of these guys don't understand is it's a cumulative thing. You know, yeah. Fran, Fran is, is on the officials from the, from the first possession all the way to the final mm. possession. And so these things add up. And I think these other coaches see that. You know, players, you know, we always talk about a players just want refs to be consistent, right? Like just if this is a foul, call it here all the time. The same can be go for coaches with how other coaches get treated. You know, I, I don't think there's any doubt that certain coaches – get a little more leeway with the officials than other ones do. And some of that is also, you know what you're getting with Fran McCaffrey. Like when that ball's tipped up, he's, he's going to be 
on you. You know what I mean? As an official. So you like, it's, it's kind of like those teams that foul you the whole game. It's like, okay, you're going to call a foul on every possession because mm. you're not going to do that. And even as an official, you go, okay, you're going to call a technical foul and throw Fran out in the first five minutes of the game. You're not going to do that. You know, so there, there's a, it's, it's, it's challenging, you know. Um, I, I didn't love uh, what, what Coach Woodson said after the game. Just I'm always, I'm always more of a fan of keeping that stuff in-house or, you know, just not necessarily playing those cards publicly. But I certainly understand where, he, where he's coming from because Fran was on one last night. But in some ways he needed to. His team, I don't know if you guys saw the start of that game, his team was flat as a pancake mm-hmm. in the first ten minutes of that game. And he needed to, like, I, I really think that was – sometimes I think coaches just lose their cool – and then sometimes I think coaches get teed up and go crazy to try and get their light a fire in their team. And I think Fran kind of did both last night. Nick, I think you know a lot of times people say, "Oh, you know, good analysts. Uh, they they played the game or whatever." And I know that that's not a prerequisite. There's some other things. I think one of the things that makes you really good at what you do is not only is there the knowledge of the game, but it's never about you. So you like to give perspectives that don't involve the player and. I'm listening to you explain the flagrant one, flagrant two the other night, and, and should it be when you come down hard on a player and you don't love the call. And, and I'm thinking to myself, does, does basketball – I know we we're on it in the NFL. Does college basketball have an officiating problem? And does the player in you allow you to really want to go there different than maybe you would being in the media? Yeah, it's, I, I always feel like – for as much as officiating is an enormous part of the game, when I'm on the air, officiating is like the last thing I want to talk about. And to be honest with you, it's even one of the things when I hosting, you know, in the media, hosting a radio show, whatever, like I'm never a huge fan of, you know, hey, coming up next, I'm going to talk to you guys about officiating. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I I just think more often than not, I think fans don't want to talk about that. But you not is, Damon, you talk to coaches, and this goes for football as well. They want to know who's our crew this week. Yep. Who, who's who's you know, like it's a huge, who's who's on this game. Yep. You know what I mean? Like how the game is officiated is massively, massively important. So it is a factor in in the game. So I think it's always a uh, it, it's always a balance to try to kind of like all right. We got to dip our toe in that pool because we can't act like how a game's ref doesn't matter. But I don't want to go swimming in that pool for for too long. Uh, you know, if does the, does college basketball have an officiating problem? I mean, probably a little bit. Uh, I also I'm also one of those guys that has has a lot of sympathy for for these refs. I think it's a thankless job. I think. Uh, I think it's really hard. In some ways, I think the the flop technical rule. While I get the spirit of it, it is it is a mm. tough one to administer. Um, you know, so I think these guys got a lot of things um, working against them to make it challenging. Uh, but it, it's uh, there, there's no question that officiating is an enormous part of every single game. Nick, you're the best man. We appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. Now go back to being a dad. <laughs> okay. We, we made it about 15 minutes here with no, no massive injuries, so I'm going to get back to making sure we stay on that course. Always appreciate you, my man. guy. Thank you. 
See you guys. Yep, talk soon. And that is Nick Ba at Nick Ba on Twitter. Before we send this thing to break, I want to take a moment to talk to you about Dingman's Collision Center. They've been in the business for over 25 years in Omaha. Family-owned and family-run local business. They invest in the latest technology to stay up to date with the ever-evolving technology of cars. We work on, or they work on, I should say, all makes and models. I shouldn't say we because uh, we should not be working on any cars. Uh, my, yeah, in my um, former life, I've had a few of my cars work on. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they work from Fords to Teslas, four locations throughout the metro area, along with a standalone mechanical shop at 120th and Maple. Voted first place, best of Omaha for 18 years running. If you have a problem, you need auto repair, go to Dingman's Collision Center. They will hook you up. Out of the break, though, we're playing Dog Eat Dog against DB. Now it's trivia time. We'll take a live guest next here on the show. It's Hale Varsity Radio.